Okay, well, then we're all going to read it together. You ready? Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. It'll be right up here so you can see it there. Or, if you follow in your little book, it's right in front of you there too. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Hasn't this been a fantastic study? Getting to know the way the Lord looks at you because of our Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to carry on with our uh, study of the word sealed. It's in verse 13 and 14. Especially verse 13 will be our focus today. We introduced it last time, speaking of a promise, a pledge that we emphasize. Today, verse 13. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Heavenly Father, help us again. You have given to us so much to learn in these uh, several weeks we've been studying this passage. Thank you, Lord, for the depth of it. Thank you for the challenge that comes with it, for the things that you're doing in our lives to change us and to make us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. We have just recently sung, Speak, O Lord, and we ask that again as we open up your word now and learn from it. In Jesus' name. Amen. There is a very important aspect of our identity in Christ that is addressed in the verse that we just read. It speaks about our salvation. You saw the word, didn't you? It's right there in verse 13. And I want to be clear about what we're viewing today. All right? The passage is not an appeal that you become saved. All right? It's not an evangelistic message that Paul wrote here. Now, we believe 
that salvation is something that you need, don't we? Yes. If you're not saved at this time, you need to be. As I've said several times before, the scripture makes it very clear that we need a Savior. A Savior saves you. That's what a Savior does. And the situation we are in from the moment we are born is that of a lost, blind, helpless, hopeless, enemy of God, a sinner by birth and a sinner by choice, under the wrath of God, dead in our trespasses, participating willingly in darkness and heading down the path that leads to destruction and a Christless eternity, ultimately an eternal consciousness in the lake of fire. That's a horrible description. And if you are not saved, you need a Savior. We have one. We have one. Jesus Christ is the Savior. It is He who, being God, took on flesh. And He came to this earth to dwell with us. It is He who taught us the truth of God and fulfilled the work that His Father had given to Him by being obedient, and we say even to the death on a cross. That one act upon that cross, He took on Himself the wrath of God, took the penalty for our sin away, set us free from the chains of sin, and put us in a right relationship with God. If we believe that He did this personally for each and every one of us. The identity we have been studying in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, is based on the fact that you are a believer in Christ. If you are not, then none of the last 17 sermons have applied to you at all. I'm glad you're here, if that's the case. And I'm glad you have listened and I've had the opportunity to speak to you about these things. But if you are not saved, you need the Savior. That's where you should start today. Now, I repeat where I started. There is a very important aspect in our identity in Christ that is addressed here in verse number 13. It speaks about our salvation. It's what you should already have. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You understand how I'm saying this? You wouldn't be sealed by the Holy Spirit unless you were saved first. Salvation is something you should already have. I want to note a couple of things about this in verse number 13. This phrase, you were sealed. That's the main statement of that part of the passage. That's the main thing he's trying to say. You were sealed. It's in keeping with all the other identities we've been studying here. And if you have your little book, you can go through page after page and see them. 
blessed, chosen, adopted, forgiven, a lot of wonderful things we've seen as we've studied through this passage. Great things to comment on. But notice when it says you were sealed, it's said as if it's completed. Technically it is. For those who are saved, it is done. I love the fact that if I was teaching you a Greek class today, I'd say it's in the aorist tense, and we'd all get excited about that. Because the aorist tense is something completed. We picture it as a timeline and one dot on the timeline. One time, one moment, one action, it's finished. It's done. That's what's true about this word. It was done in a single act. In other words, you're not slowly sealed. As if God's glue needs to dry. I know a lot of things in this life we do by process, don't we? We are working toward this, or we're finishing up that. We're adding a piece here and another piece there, and we're, we're, we're adding them from time to time and building, and, and we're always seem to be in processes. It seemed like construction is always going on. When I lived in Chicago, I was sure there had to have been a city law that prohibited all of the highways being completed from construction at the same time. I am sure of that, because it was constant. It was always, always, always under construction somewhere. As to the ceiling, understand this. It's finished. It's finished. I want you to understand this, because it's very important to what I'm going to share with you today. It is finished. It's also this, by the way. It's what we call a passive verb. That means you didn't do it. It was done to you. It was done for you. You didn't do it. All the way through these verses, the phrases have read just like that. And I brought it up several times before. You were chosen. You were blessed. You were made holy. You were made blameless. You were forgiven. You were redeemed. All of these things were done for you. Done for you. It's not your doing. It's not my doing. I like the way Spurgeon said this. If there be one stitch in the celestial garment of my righteousness, which I am to insert myself, then I am lost. If there is one drachma in the price of my redemption, which I am to make up, then I must perish. If there be one contingency, if there's one if, or one though, or one but, about my soul's salvation, then I am a lost man. But this is my confidence. The Lord that began will perfect. He has done it all, must do it all, he will do it all. My confidence must not be in what I can do or in what I resolve to do, but entirely in what the Lord will do. I like those words. 
How do I know the Lord did this for me? How do I know? How many times have we seen in this passage, in Him? In Him. In Him we have this. In Him we have this. Through Him we have this. It's all about Him and what He's done for us. It says it again in verse 13. In Him also you were sealed. In Him. Folks, I am a very happy recipient. I am happy with that. I don't mind a passive verb right here. It's accurate. I didn't do this. And truth be known, I couldn't do it either. He did it. Let me add something else to that. And it's really pertinent to our study today. It's what we call an indicative verb, too. And that means it's reality. It is reality. It's not a potential. It's not a maybe. It's not a I hope so. It's not waiting for some condition to be met. Or it's not in danger that it's not being there in the end. To say we are sealed is to say in the strongest way that it is true and it is now and it is not feeble, it's not fragile and it cannot be broken or taken away from us because we didn't earn it. So how could we lose it? This is God's work in you. I love that. This is what God has done. And so you see this main verb, you were sealed. It's potent. We're going to talk more about it. I just introduced it to you this week. There's so much more. That's why there's at least three more sermons coming, by the way. But what is it saying? This main verb is evident. I just showed you some of those things. But what is verse 13 saying about it? Watch these words. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed all that he says before you were sealed. All of that information. This is going to be fun. You ready? It's the interesting thing about the, the Greek language is that you could mix up the word order all you want. Like a puzzle disassembled in the box. You could stir it all you want in there and throw it out on the table. And the translation is not based on word order, but on the form of the word. So you get it right every time by looking at the word and not at the order. I hope that makes sense because English is really weird this way. We, we stress word order so often. But things like the subject of the verb are so obvious, it doesn't matter where you find it in the sentence. It's still the subject of the verb. It always will be. And this is why I I enjoy studying it and talking about it and teaching it a bit, because it says, you were sealed. That's way at the, past the middle part of the verse. And that's the main point. All that information that went before it is important too. But the word order that he does is for emphasis. They tend to put the important, significant things they want to say up near the front of a phrase. And I want to show you what it says, because this is where I got really excited. You didn't sense that, did you? 
it says, in him, you also, you were saved. Now, what did I just say? He, he brought together these phrases, and it's like saying it this way. You yourselves were sealed. Now, you may think he's writing that like he's surprised. <laughs> you? You were sealed? I mean, we might be surprised ourselves. But that's not the way Paul was writing. He is just showing us, continually showing us, item for item, what Christ has done. And he's getting even more excited because now he gets to this place and says, not only has he done this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, but you also were sealed. You yourselves were sealed. It's very special to think of it this way. Because what he's saying is that God's love for you is intentional. It's intentional. He's deliberate in his actions to you. You may find that incredible, but he has done it without any reservations in sealing you. Without any hesitation, he sealed you. He aimed directly at you. You yourselves. It's a pretty potent way of saying it. Now, try to say those words and think that God didn't mean it. These words aim right at the heart, don't they? He says, you yourselves, you were sealed. You yourselves were sealed. And he's got to keep walking through this. Two completed things that go with that, that identify you. One refers to listening, the other to believing. See that in verse 13? After listening to the gospel of truth, then it goes on to say the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. Let's take a minute at that and look at this and put it all in the picture. Both of those are also in an aorist form, which means they are completed. All right? The person reading this right now would be a saved individual. It's not, like I said, it's not an evangelistic text. It is a text for one who has already listened, has already believed, and this is what God has done for you. I put the emphasis on it like I do all the time. This is what God has done. It's done. Up to this point, we have done nothing. We have done nothing. Yet here are two verbs that kind of speak of our listening and our believing. You'd love the word listening. If you were to teach your children how to obey, you need this word. All right, akuo is the he is the Greek word akuo. We get from words like acoustics from such a word. Akuo means to hear. But it also means to understand. And it also means to obey. Because hearing is not complete without obedience. Don't you parents love that? It's not just that, oh yeah, I heard you, Dad. Right? Uh-uh. 
Hearing is not complete without obedience. It's all in the one word. Hearing, understanding, obedience. Let me illustrate it for you. It's real simple. If you were traveling down 132 here at the end of the service on your way home, you get near Carrier and you'll notice there is a railroad crossing there. What if the lights start flashing? The red lights come on. They have a gate there, don't they? Gate comes down. All those kind of things. Maybe you even hear a train whistle. They're supposed to do that too. That's all good. That's all good. But there's one more fact other than your ear picking up the sound that says, there's something happening here. Sound waves are going off. Visually, I see something. It's all going in through the eyes and into the ears, and it's heading down the right canals and all those other things, hitting the nerves that go into the brain and registering that information, storing up all those things that it needs to know. And then it computes that, interprets that, understands that, and it sends back its message to the body to do something about it. It's fun to follow the path, but how fast you do that is amazing. But that's the way it's designed. Because hearing needs understanding. It doesn't do any good just to have sound waves go off. Something has to compute. What does that mean? What does that mean? You hear the sounds. You see the light. You're promptly told that there's a train approaching. It's coming your way. Suddenly, the third thing kicks in. You must stop. You must stop. Obedience has to take place. If you don't hear, if you don't understand, if you don't obey, you're in trouble. My dad worked for the railroad for 40 years. He taught us to respect a train. They're bigger than you, is the phrase I always heard. They're bigger than you. And by the way, it would take them about a mile to stop after they hit you. I never wanted to find out if that was true. I just know they're big, and I was always impressed. And actually, I'm the guy who would stop and watch them anyway, even if there wasn't something, because I just love watching trains. The gospel is a message. You just saw it in verse 13. It's a message. It's a message from God. It's a message of truth. We need to hear it, don't we? We need to hear that message. We needed somebody to tell us that message. Now, sometimes it was a pastor. Sometimes it was a parent. Sometimes there's a Sunday school teacher or a missionary. Maybe it was something you heard on the radio. Maybe you read it for yourselves. But one way or the other, the message was heard. But it goes beyond just that. We need to understand it. Understand it's about us and our need. And then what? We need to obey it. It says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Nobody is born saved. Nobody accidentally gets saved. Nobody is saved because mom and dad were saved. He's not passed it on to you like the color of your eyes or the color of your hair. John chapter 1, verse 12 says... As many as received him, that's speaking of Christ, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood or of the will or of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. He's the only one who could save you. He's the only one who could do it. Many years ago, there was a man I knew. His little daughter attended our Awana clubs in our church in Indiana. She was so excited about Awana. We did that on purpose. I mean, we figured if we got them so excited on a Wednesday night that they would pastor their parents to get them there on Sunday. It worked. In this case, this little girl was begging, begging, begging constantly for her parents to bring her to Sunday school. And they gave in. We thought that was kind of fun. Mom and Dad started attending the church. Mom and Dad started coming into our Sunday school class. We were teaching the Gospel of John. So we're working over the course of several months teaching about salvation through Jesus Christ. And after, after a while, they started missing the class. And they quit bringing her to Sunday school. And we had her for a while, but she couldn't get Mom and Dad to come to church anymore. Then one day I got a call, several months later. I got a call on the phone, and there was Dad on the other side of the phone. And Dad says this to me, literally. Would you come over right away and tell me how we can be saved? You don't get that call very often. That is cool. I said, oh, absolutely. I ran over there as quickly as I could. I wanted to sit down and talk to them. We talked for over an hour about what salvation is all about and all the rest to it. And then I asked them, so, do you want to be saved? And they said, no. Honestly, they said no. I was surprised. (laughs) I was very surprised. Here's the thing. You can hear with your ears and even understand, but there has to be a response of obedience to it. You have to respond to the gospel. They heard it. They probably understood it. But there was a Philippian jailer years ago, if you remember, that Paul gave him a command, and it is a command, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There's salvation no other way. No other way. Now, if that bothers you, the next time you get the warning lights going off in front of you, decide if you're going to ignore them or not. Paul takes that word, listening, and puts it in here. He says, and you listened. You listened to the gospel, the message of truth. You listened to that, the gospel of your salvation. And he says, and you believed. And you believed. There's that second word linked to this. There was a day when the Israelites were complaining. (laughs) You ask, which day of the week was that? (laughs) That seemed to be constant that they were complaining. But the Israelites were complaining as they wandered through the wilderness, and God sent in among the people serpents. Serpents. And these folks were getting bitten by these serpents, and they were dying from these serpents. Moses appeals to God, and and God responds in a very unusual way. God told Moses to make a serpent of bronze, attach it to a pole, place it out where the people could see it. 
And if the people believed that God had made a way for their healing by looking to that pole, God would heal them. Moses probably didn't understand the instructions at all. Why is that going to work, God? Maybe he asked him. We don't know. But God, I could say, don't worry about it. My methodology is a little unusual here, but it has great meaning in the future, and I need it now. What Jesus said about that phrase in John 3 was this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. You want to know how that all works? I'll tell you this. I can't explain a miracle. Salvation is a miracle from God. It's a miracle from God. I didn't do it. He did it. He calls me to listen to what He says. He calls me to believe what He says. I did that. And now I read, I did it. Just like he said, but I don't get credit for it because he's the one that saved me. I didn't save myself. I just followed instructions. He's the one that changed my life forever. And he's changed your life forever too, hasn't he? Through faith in him, listening and believing, you are different now. Because of what he has done. You listened. You also believed. The gospel was presented to you. And the end result was your salvation. And here's the thing. If you are saved, then you are sealed. That's his point of verse 13. If you are saved, then you are sealed. They all happen simultaneously. They all happen in the same fashion. You do not get saved and then some special addition is added to your salvation. God slowly initiates the security of your salvation. It's slowly sealing and drying and then someday it will be finished. That's not the picture at all. I want to say that all to you as to what it means because it touches my heart. When I think of these words, since you are saved, you are sealed. There are two things that are never separated. It's the way God works in you and in me. That's why, believer, you wear an identity. An identity called sealed. The thing is, you're not trying to figure out how to get it. You're called right now to live up to it. Because that's your identity in Christ. It's already done. It's as sure as all the other things God has done for you already. What a blessing it is to belong to Him. What an incredible thing He has done. I lived for years struggling with the question whether or not I had salvation. I was taught that I needed it every week. And I was saved. I'm going to be in the Guinness Book. All right? When they look up the number of times a person can be saved, it's going to have my picture. Because I was sure of it every single week. I was taught that somehow I damaged my faith. I was taught that somehow I had erased my salvation status. I had gone in fear. 
I lived in defeat. I was taught that week after week after week. And then God showed me in His Word how much He loves me. He wasn't against me. He wasn't angry at me. He loved me. He saved me. He sealed me. How can I argue with that? That's what He's done for me. What blew me away was His love for me even while I was yet a sinner. While I was yet a sinner. And if He can save me from being a sinner, He can certainly keep me. I don't question that anymore. That's why I get so excited when I hit a passage like this. I said, wow, folks, do you realize what it's saying? We live in a world of such uncertainty. We live in a world of such wickedness. We live in a world where we're bombarded constantly with things that are pulling us away from Christ all the time, aren't we? Constant like that. Isn't it good to know that God's work will not fail? Oh, what a blessing that is. What a relief that is. That's the beauty of this phrase. He loves me. He sealed that relationship. He did it. He did it. I think sealing is a beautiful thing that God has done. That gives me confidence to walk out of this door. To walk down the street. To live out of next Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. That gives me confidence to know that what God has done, He will finish as well. I'm not wondering about that anymore. He sealed me. I think it's beautiful. Do you know Christ? This whole thing was based on, you know Him. But if you don't know Him as your Savior, you can today. It will change your eternity. Turn to Him. Even while I'm talking, you can do that. You can talk to Him right now. Lord, I need a Savior. I know it now. And you're the only one who can do it. Please save me. He says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful promise that is. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You call on Him to save you, He will save you. That's what He's good at. And He will seal you. Oh, He's good at that too. What a blessing it is to walk through this passage. And we've got more to talk about. It's a good passage. We're going to dig in more next week. But uh, let's have a word of prayer and see if there's anything in your heart you need to talk to the Lord about. Maybe now that you realize you've been wearing the banner of sealed in your life, you haven't been living like that. Maybe there's something you need to make right with Him because you haven't been living up to your name, your calling. If so, take some time. Talk to Him. If you've been frustrated, if you've been scared, if you've been feeble, if you've been wondering if this is all going to work at all, and you're not sure, talk to Him about it. His words are strong. His love is great. Don't hesitate to talk to the Lord with whatever burden is on your heart right now. These words say, in verse 13, He loves you. And that will not change. Aren't those good things to know? Let's pray in light of that. Heavenly Father, You're so very good to us. So very good to us. The things that You have done, that You've accomplished through Your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for us, that we might be saved. 
What a wonderful thing that is. And now add to that the very fact that when we're saved, we're sealed. And you have finished that job too. What confidence that instills in our hearts and minds. What glory it is to be able to sit here today and know that God's work is greater than anything I've done in my life. I did not bring it about, and I cannot undo it. But my God is stronger than me, and He's stronger than this world. And all that this world can offer and throw at us is passing away. But God's Word abides forever. And this is His promise to us. He has sealed us. Thank you, Father, for what you have done. May it drive deep into our hearts today. May it change the attitudes in our minds. May it give us confidence to walk the way we ought to walk this week. We, we love you, Lord, for what you've done. We love you for this, especially in Jesus' name. Amen.